Welcome to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, be sure to visit us at cbctaylorville.com. Listen now as Pastor Chad delivers this week's message. You know, I've enjoyed this last week of getting settled in, and I just want to say thank you right now before I even jump into the sermon. I want to say thank you for all of the hours that the deacons put into the process of getting me here. Can we give it up for our deacons? I know, I know we have some in the room, but we also have some down there with the kids and security and kind of everywhere, but, you know, they, they've done a lot of, of work and a lot of prayer has gone into me being able to even stand on this stage and for you to be able to call uh, me pastor. So again, my heart to just goes out to all the deacons. I just want to say thanks for all of your hard work. It was, it was worth it, and God is moving us forward by His grace. Amen? So uh, please, I just want to also say thank you to you if you've been praying for me or, or my wife or praying for the sell, uh, selling of my house. Please continue to pray. It hasn't been finalized. We're in that, I'm in that impatient phase where we have an offer on the house, but yet, no, it's, it hasn't gone through yet. So pray for your pastor's patience and then also for the selling of our house. That way I can also get my bride here. So she is there closing up the house as well. So please be in prayer for all of that. Um, God is so good, and, and I know that he's good. He's got all this worked out. I just need to get my timetable lined up with his timetable. So who's ever been there before, say amen. Hey, so we're starting a brand new series that we're going to be in for a while, and we're going to be in an a unfamiliar, for some of us, an unfamiliar part of the Bible. And it, the book that we're going to be in for the large part we're not going to start there, but we're going to be in is Ezra. So I invite you to open up to Ezra right now. And I know some of you are like, I don't know where that is. I want to give you a little cheat. If you have a Bible and if you have a device, you're already cheating. Okay, you're going to find it faster than me. But if you have a Bible, I want to give you a little cheat to find this. Open up your Bible right, like right in the middle. You're probably going to land right around Psalms or Proverbs or Ecclesiastes. If you go to the left in your Bible, just a couple of books, go past Job, and then you're going to land upon some familiar territory of Ezra, Nehemiah, and then Second Chronicles. That's where we're going to be in just a moment. So open it up, go to the left, wherever the middle is, go to the left just a little bit, you'll find Ezra. And mark, mark that in your Bible, and maybe you've even taken my advice through the Facebook post I had earlier this week to start reading through it, but mark that in your Bible because we're going to be in Ezra for quite a long time. And what I've called this sermon is, uh, I've just termed it catalyst. And here's what a catalyst is. A catalyst is someone who starts something or something who is a person of action and also a, a person who is, who is just willing to, ch- it's a hard word to say, it's harder to live out. It's a, um, what's the word I'm trying to say? To change. Thank you. Some of you helped me. It's hard to change sometimes. And also, a catalyst is a person who is willing to, fill that word in for me, help me, change. Yes, you guys believe it. We need some work over here, but change. And then also, I'll give you a chance to to redeem yourself. It's a person of action, right? So a, a catalyst is a person who's willing to change and also a person who's willing to take action. And that's what we see in this, in this particular passage. And here's what I was thinking of and I've been praying about in developing this series for us today. This series is, is, is for someone who, who's gone through maybe a series of hurts. This series is, is for the person who's maybe they've had just a season of heartache. 
Or maybe it's just that person who's just had a series of hang-ups. And yet you, you, you want to get going and you feel stuck where you are. And yet you know you want to move forward, but you just simply don't know how. Or you've had some starts and stops along the way. My, my hope and my desire, based upon the Word of God, is to inspire you to be a catalyst for your own life and for your own faith journey. Of course, this could lead us in a bunch of different directions. To be a catalyst, maybe through the process of, of the teaching and, and what God brings about, maybe it's being a catalyst to go ask for forgiveness for somebody that you have offended or maybe just to, to restore a relationship that is, is struggling. Maybe for you, it's to be a catalyst to actually get your finances in order. Maybe it's to be a catalyst to finally get your marriage in order and go see that marriage counselor that you've been avoiding for a long time. Maybe for you, it's to finally make that you know that God's been pricking your heart to give your life to him and yet you haven't given your life to him and you haven't you're not truly saved and maybe what it is for you is to begin that that process of faith and maybe it's just to continue that process of faith with acts of obedience and maybe generosity or or baptism or serving within the church you see we could go a bunch of different directions with this and one of the things that i see now i'm looking around everyone i see there's something here for all of us just as there's something here for me as well. I'm someone who I find myself right in the middle of this series. I've been sitting in it for quite some time, but I find myself right in the middle of, of what we're going to see in Ezra's story and learning how to be a catalyst, not only of my own life, but also to, to help uh, just to work with God instead of fighting God to become the person that he would want me to be. And I want the same for you. I want to tell you a, a story Recently, I ran a really long race, and I'm not going to tell you how long it was because it, that's not important, but I ran a really long race, and it was the longest race that I had ever run. And I've, I've ran in a lot of, of races willingly. I wasn't running from something. I actually chose to be in these races. And, but I've had somebody ask me recently, how in the world, as a matter of fact, it was yesterday at my grandma's dinner table, asked me again, how did you do it? And the answer is, is really simple, but yet it's really complex. And it sounds like a preacher here, right? Oh, it's both. So uh, it's really simple that I had, to, I had to get to the place where I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. Anyone else been sick and tired? Just raise your hand. Say, I've been sick and tired of being sick and tired. That, that's a little Grandma Harris for you. That's my grandma. That's a saying from her. But that's the thing. When I started running, and I started running in such a way where I was unhappy of what was going on in my health, and I started to feel terrible, and it wasn't even necessarily what, the, how I looked in the mirror, because most guys really don't care, if you want to be honest. We just, we're, that's not our first thought. But for me, it was how I felt. And I didn't feel really, I didn't feel good. I didn't have energy. And I was too young at the time. I was about 35. I was, I was too young to feel that way. And I knew that something was off. So I just decided that the fitness was going to be a thing for me. So I started running. By running, I meant I ran a block and then I walked a block. I did that for months, and then I'd, I'd run two blocks, and then I would, I would walk two blocks, and then I'd run two blocks, and eventually I, I got to the point where I ran a mile, and I was like, well, I ran a mile with, without like, my company commander in boot camp telling me to run. <laughs> like, it, it's possible. Thank you, Lord, you know. Um, so, so I just began this process, and I remember there was this, this one day where I went out, and I don't know, I was just feeling really good, and this was after a series of months. I ran four miles, and I thought, Wow, I am the type of person who ran four miles. I never thought I could be the type of person who would go out and run four miles. That's a, a really simple illustration to let you know of what else was going on. 
Because I had some spiritual struggles along the way too. And, and my fitness was really a picture of my spiritual walk. And so for me, part of that, that fitness journey was, was me going through and reciting to myself God's word, Philippians 4.13, which I realized was not in context, but I've just preached it to myself anyway, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I knew that my, my physical journey was as much as my spiritual journey at the time. You see, the, the reality is this. I had to embrace my situation for me to move forward with what God had for me. And I, then I had to start believing that I could be the person who was capable of doing what it was that I thought I was incapable of doing. You see, the only thing that's impossible for you and I is the thing that we never start. That's the only thing that's impossible for you and I, is the thing that we never start. And my, my hope and my desire, my prayer for you, is that the Holy Spirit of God would descend upon you, whether in this space or in another space. Maybe at home when you're mulling over this message. Maybe it's at lunch after you leave this space. Or maybe it's in, your, in the quietness of your devotions. But my, my desire is that the Holy Spirit of God would descend upon you, that He would reveal in you what it is that He wants you to start. Maybe it's that, that, that thing that you've been putting off for a long time. But my prayer is that God would incite you and invite you and encourage you to start the thing that you've been putting off. That you would take the thing serious, the thing that he's put in you that is to be taken serious. You see, interesting passage that we're going to be in eventually in Ezra actually begins in 2 Chronicles. Let me give you just a, a little bit of an overview of where we're going to be. The reason why Ezra is in the place that it is is because many scholars believe that Ezra is the person who wrote 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, which are history books, and also Ezra and Nehemiah. So many scholars believe that, that Ezra wrote all of these things. So it lands upon the area in the, in the Old Testament, the area of, of the history books, because he's writing a history of, of what went on. Some of this is personal history, and some of this is just history that was passed on to him. We're going to see that ultimately there are three different leaders and, uh, who, who God just brings about to help God's people to get out of captivity to come back to Jerusalem. The first one was a guy by the name of Zerubbabel. Somebody say that with me. It's a hard word. Zerubbabel. We slaughtered it together. It's a hard word to say. Three B's in that, in that name. You, perhaps you should name your children that. Zerubbabel. You know, just go off the grid. Don't, don't go and search online with whatever the common names are in, in 2022. Just pick something random. Zerubbabel. Three B's. going to be hard in first grade for him to convince a teacher of that one how to spell that name. But there's Zerubbabel. In 538, I believe, B.C., it was the first group of exiles. We're going to see this in a couple of weeks. There's another individual that's Ezra, brings about another group of exiles. And then Nehemiah brings about the third group of exiles. This is important because the reason why the people of God were in exile was because they were disobeying God. I invite you to go into the Word of God. 2 Chronicles 36.15 tells us the state they're in. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent word to them through his messengers again and again. Because he had pity on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked God's messengers. Oh, this is so important, church. You need to hear this. 
They mocked God's messengers. They despised his words and they scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people and there was no remedy. He brought up against them the king of the Babylonians who killed their young men with the sword in the sanctuary and spared neither young man nor young woman, old man or aged. God handed all of them over to Nebuchadnezzar He carried to Babylon all the articles from the temple of God, both large and small, and the the treasures of the Lord's temple and the treasures of the king and his officials. They set fire to God's temple and broke down the wall of Jerusalem. They burned all the palaces and destroyed everything of value there. Verse 20. He carried into exile to Babylon the remnants who escaped from the sword. And they became servants to him and his sons until the king of Persia came to power. The land enjoyed its Sabbath rests all the time of its desolation. It rested until the 70 years were completed in fulfillment of the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and to put it in writing. This is what was written. This is what King uh, Cyrus, king of Persia, says, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has appointed me to build a temple for him in Jerusalem in Judah. Anyone on, uh, of his people among you, may the Lord be his God, be with him, and let him go up. Uh, I'm going to summarize what we just read together. There's two different groups that you see have, or taken, who have basically taken over the people of God at the time. All the area around Judah. The first group was the Babylonians. If you've done a study of the the book of Daniel, and you could see clearly in the book of Daniel of the the Babylonian impact on the Israelites. Because even Daniel, part of the Babylonian way was to destroy the the identity of whoever that they were oppressing. And they demanded that, that, that when they would come in and they would rule an area, they demanded that that area become Babylonians too. So they would make them change their name. So Daniel's name was changed to Belteshazzar. The name Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is not their original name. That is their Babylonian name. So even scripturally, you can see this, that the Babylonian way was one of oppression and wiping away a cultural identity and then forming in them the Babylonian identity. But there was a transition. I'm sure that you caught it in the text. There's also this mention of Cyrus, the king of, what was the, what was the, the, the country? Persia. Then the, the Persians defeat the Babylonians, and the Persians have a completely different way of governing the areas that they, have, that they have taken over and ruled. Instead of the Persians saying that you must become Persian, instead they let the captives, the Babylonian captives, they let them go back home. So it's a completely different way. But all, all that we see in the passage is you see the sovereignty of God and you see the plan and providence of God worked out. So now God, God saw fit that his people would go back to Jerusalem that they would go back and that they would rebuild this temple that God inspired the rebuilding of the temple through king of Persia 
a gentleman by the name of Cyrus, who was not a, uh, who was not one of God's people at all, but yet God spoke to him to spur him to build uh, a temple back in Jerusalem. This would become important in the years and decades later. You can imagine what this would seem like and feel like for God's people. That they, were, that they were oppressed and they were suppressed. They couldn't be who it was that God wanted them to be. But yet, whenever Cyrus took charge in the Persian way of life, then allowed them to go back to Jerusalem, this would be a time of encouragement. This would be a time of hope. This would be a time where leadership matters, where, where somebody had to catalyze that movement. And the person who would catalyze that movement first is a gentleman by the name of Zerubbabel. And his name itself means born in Babylon. So he's the one who comes back. Now we'll read in Ezra, now that we know um, the setting and what's happening. Ezra 1, verse 1. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah... The Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and to put it into writing. It's the same thing that was repeated just a couple of minutes ago, by the way, at the end of Second Chronicles. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Anyone of his people among you may... His God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem in Judah and build a temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem. Verse 4, and the people of any place where survivors may now be living are to provide for him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with freewill offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. Then the family heads of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and Levites, everyone whose heart God had moved, prepared to go up and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. All their neighbors assisted them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with valuable gifts, in addition to all the freewill offerings. Moreover, King Cyrus brought out the articles belonging to the temple of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and had placed in the temple of his God. Cyrus, king of Persia, had them brought by Mithridath, the treasurer, who counted them out to Shezbazar, the prince of Judah. Aren't you glad I'm having to say these names and you don't have to? You're laughing because you know it's true. Verse 9. This was the inventory, gold dishes, silver dishes, silver pans, gold bowls, matching silver bowls, other articles. In all, there were 5,400 articles of gold and of silver, Shezbazar, brought all these along when the exiles came up from Babylon to Jerusalem. God is bringing things back together. Did you know that God has a long history of bringing things back together? Just as true in the days of Zerubbabel and of Ezra and Nehemiah and the people of God when they're under Persian control is the same God who rules and reigns today and it's the same hope that's offered for you that he is bringing things together. That's a good place for an amen, by the way. 
He's bringing things and bringing people and he's bringing situations in order to accomplish his mission and his mandate and his plan in our lives and in the world. Where you and I may be tempted to see chaos, God through his providential plan sees order. There's four things that I want us to see in this passage that I I believe will help us. And I want to start with the first takeaway that we see in Second Chronicles 36, 15 through 41. I'll just summarize it with these two words. And if you have, a, if you have your sermon notes, you can fill these in. And, and this is what the, the fill in the blank is. The first thing you see is predictable prisons. Predictable prisons. The people of God were in the place that they were in because they weren't listening to the word of God being preached over them. They were hearing the prophet and they were like, nah, it doesn't really pertain to me. doesn't really matter. I've heard that before. Oh, that's just another Bible story. And when God sent prophets to speak truth to God's people, they turned their nose up to what God was saying and that put them in a place of a predictable prison. I've given you a lot of good news already, but I want to give you some, also there could be some good news for you if you choose the pathway of repentance. When you and I choose to willingly disobey God, that puts us in a predictable prison. And that's sad but true. If, if you were to just choose right now, whether you're in the room or you're at home right now, If you're just to choose to say, I've already heard this before. That's just another preacher. That's just preacher talk. That's just another song. That's just another church service. Uh, What's it really matter? You're actually positioning yourself to open up the door of the prison. And it's a prison that only repentance can get you out of. The, The people of God were in the place that they were in because it says... In 2 Chronicles 36, verse 16, But they mocked God's messengers, despising His words and scoffing at His prophets, until the wrath of God was aroused against His people, and there was no remedy. In other words, there's no way that they themselves could get out of the situation that they were in, other than repentance. Turning away from that sinful place. You see, the hope of the gospel is this, that though you may be in a predictable prison and you may be in a mess of your own making, by God's grace and God's design and the hope of the gospel is that you don't have to stay there. That the the key to the predictable prison that you and I and our sin, that our sinful state puts us in is this, to allow us, by God's grace, to open up the key and to let us come out. This is what Jesus said in John 8, 34 and 36. He says, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Again, this is the hope of the gospel. That though you could be in a place of your own making, that you don't have to stay there because Jesus Christ made a way out. He made a way by the cross of Christ to to get us out of the place that we were in. That we no longer have to be shackled to our past. 
The no more are, are we defined by the worst thing that we've ever done. No more are we defined by, by the, the thing that we've done that we mull over and we have for years and years and years and years and years. Those are predictable prisons. We no longer have to be shackled to our worst day. Instead, the hope of the gospel, the promise of the gospel by way of the cross and what Jesus did for us is to break the shackles and to be free. And I love how Jesus says that at the end of the John 8 passage, and they will be free indeed. Make no mistake, there is no doubt. That is the pathway of freedom. That is the way out. That is the way so that God would inspire you to be a catalyst for your best life going forward. To redeem the brokenness around you. To be the person that he wants you to be. One of my favorite authors, John Eldridge, he said this in the book Wild at Heart. I've led, I don't even know how many men through studies of Wild at Heart, but I'm always inspired by this quote. I always come back to it, and I thought about it when I was putting this message together. And it's written to men, but this is true of men and women. A man or woman's calling is written on his true heart, and he discovers it when he enters the frontiers of his deep desires. I believe that God has put a dream within you, He's he's put something in you that with His help can be discovered and can be lived out. And it's not something that is just for you. It's something that that you working with God will actually be something that helps other people to also live free. Because the Christian life isn't this solo experience. That's the reason why coming into this place is so valuable. To being together together to be together in life groups, to serve together in serving teams. This is the reason why it's so important because the the Christian life was never a solo life. It's never been just about you and God. It's always about loving God, loving your neighbor as yourself. This is how Jesus simplified the Old Testament. He said to just love God with all your heart, soul, mind, body, and strength, and do what? He says, and love your neighbor as yourself. This ultimately is is what God wants to do in the world. And he wants to inspire you to be the type of person who believes that God will do that in and through you, breaking free from those shackles. To be the type of person who, who just willingly invites their neighbors to church. And it's not a, it just breaks free from any fear of, of speaking to somebody about, about your faith, of talking to that person in the office around the water cooler, to be bold enough to cross that line, maybe at work to go from your machine to go to the next machine, to tell them about the hope of Jesus, to be the type of person who, who's willing to confront a friend who's struggling with sexual sin. Instead of just watching them, a friend or, or a family member who's just struggling, instead of just watching them and their, and their life to be one that would just come together and crash, that you would be willing to step in by faith that you would not only be a catalyst for your journey, but also for somebody else's. See, God wants to do a lot in and in, in through you, but He doesn't just want you to do it alone. The second takeaway from this passage 
and you can fill in the blank of this. There's relational assurance. Right in this passage, in Ezra 1, we read over it. I tried to emphasize it, but I did a lot of reading. We probably missed it. Verse 3 says this, Any one of his people among you, may his God be with him. This is, uh, this is another way of saying, God be with you. So it's not just a matter of you going out under your own strength and your own power. I'm just going to mow through and do everything. Instead, know that there's relational assurance that God is with you. Even the times where, where Satan would whisper to us that we're alone, that we're powerless, that we're helpless, that we counter that with the promises of God to know that we have relational assurance. Those of us who are in Christ, it is God with us. That is Emmanuel, is it not? God with us. Such a, a hopeful message, is it not? Galatians 2.20 the Apostle Paul said something very similar. He said, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. But Christ lives in me. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and he gave himself up for me. He also continued in another letter in 2 Corinthians 9.8, and this is what he said. And God is able to make all grace abound in you so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. Again, this is relational assurance. He's like, this isn't just about you white-knuckling life and just you just venturing off and doing all these things under your own power. Friends, I just want you to know, operating, trying to live the spiritual life under your own power is, is a fool's game. You lose every time. That's why it's, it's God with us. We have this relational assurance that, that if we're in Christ, it's always God with us. Proverbs 2, 6 and 8 says this, For the Lord gives wisdom, and from His mouth come knowledge and understanding. He holds victory in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless, for He guards the course of the just, and He protects the way of His faithful ones. God is good like that. We're also reminded in, in Romans 8, 1 and 2, so that there is now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to Him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has done what? It's freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. So not only do we, do we begin in a predictable prison, but also if we have relational assurance that it's God with us and it's God in us and we're partnering with God to, to bring good into the world and to, to get, bring glory to the name of Jesus Christ, we also know this, that is the pathway to be free from the power of sin in our life. Again, this is just part of the, the, the hope of the gospel and it's, it's so beautiful and so wonderful. It's the way that you and I can actually begin the process of being catalyst in our lives. I want us to see next, the third fill in the blank, is in, in verse 5, uh, there's actually the third and fourth fill in the blank are going to be right here, but the, the third fill in the blank is divine resourcing. Notice how God moved. It says in, the, in verse 5 of Ezra 1, then the family heads of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and Levites 
everyone whose heart God had moved. They prepared to go and build up the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. All the neighbors assisted them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock, with valuable gifts. And then he lines out what those gifts were and the amount of silver and amount of gold and all the dishes, everything that they would need to put back into the temple. Because when God brings about a change in somebody's life, there's also a promise that there's a divine resourcing to see it happen. So we start in a predictable prison. Those of us, we... we, give our lives to Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit residing within us. We have relational assurance that we just don't have to just live life willy-nilly. We can actually live it on purpose. And know now that we move forward and we have divine resourcing, that God powers us and God equips us with everything we need. I'll summarize it by saying this. Whatever God brings you to do, God will bring you through. Whatever it is that God brings you to do, he will bring you through. If, he's, if he is truly inspiring this change, he's, he's not just going to leave you out there by yourself. Instead, he's going to see you through the end of the journey. And life is a journey. And the last thing that, that I, I would say, and I, this is right from the beginning of verse 5. Notice this, that there's divine positioning. Divine positioning. It says, then the family heads of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and Levites, everyone whose heart that God had moved. God was moving his people to do what he wanted to see accomplished. God has a long and storied history of moving his people to do what he wants accomplished. God wants to do so very much with Calvary Baptist Church. Us as as a group, as a whole. But he also wants to do so much in and through you. He wants you to believe that, 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 that you're the type of person who can see significant change in your life. He wants you to be the type of person who is not shrinking back in fear when he inspires you to bring about some sort of action in your life. And it may be some crazy thing that, that it's only you that God's put this vision in you and yet you have every reason why that would fail and my hope is if the Spirit of God is, is bringing you to do it that you would trust in Him and know that you are divinely positioned to do what it is that God wants you to do. But it also could be something that, that may seem small and insignificant to somebody else but it could be a really big thing in you. And you know what? That's huge. That's huge. Because if God inspired you to do something or to be something, it doesn't mean that everybody else needs to understand. It just means you do, so you by faith can take the step that he's inspiring. That's how God works. That's how God works. So my question, and then I'm through, is this. What is it that you need to be a catalyst of? What is it that, that 
I don't expect you to have the whole answer. This is the beginning of a conversation. But what does God want you to be the catalyst of? Is it the thing that you've been putting off for a long time? Is it the, the thing that needs repented of? Maybe there's stubbornness in your heart. Is it that, is it that, that thing and it just feels like it's, you know, it's Mount Everest before you and you're just so overwhelmed. You're like, I know, that's, I know that's what I'm supposed to do, but I just don't know what it is and I just don't know how I'm going to get there. What is it? What is it? I invite you to stand with me. We're going to stand and pray. And I want to give you a chance to respond. You see, movement of gods are are really interesting and they're really phenomenal. Movements, uh, a movement of God is, is something as subtle as saying yes to baptism, like you did. And, and maybe it's a movement of God that is, is something that, again, maybe it's only you who understands. And you're going to have all those answers and many more, I believe, if you trust God. But I want to speak to the person in the room who's in a predictable prison. I want to speak to the person who, who has stubbornness in their heart towards somebody else. You're relationally stuck. You're spiritually stuck. You're emotionally stuck. I want to talk to the person who, who maybe they've had a lot of stops and starts because they just haven't trusted God, and yet you found yourself in a predictable prison. It's because you, you, God spoke and you didn't listen. Not all those problems are going to be fixed right here in this moment, but one thing I can tell you is this. If God is speaking to you right now, maybe the first thing you need to do is respond right now. And maybe for you it's responding where you are and just having a time of prayer before God and say, God, I just, I just scour my heart. Just, just go sift me, God, and show me what it is. But maybe for you there's that thing right now. And maybe you've been walking away from God and you're not saved and yet God has been speaking to you and you've been resistant. Maybe today's the day you need to leave your seat. You need to come to the front. I promise you this, if you come to the front, you'll be met with people who love you. With the deacons and and other spiritual leaders who come alongside you. Who probably understand your story, maybe better than what you even think. So here's what I want us to do. If we could just bow our heads. Whatever business with God that you need to do. If it's at the front of the stage, please come forward. If it's in your seat, please stay in your seat. And if it's something that needs to happen after you leave this room, start being a catalyst today. Father, we love you. We come to you today. And and Lord, life can be so difficult. Life can just leave us riddled with heartaches, hang-ups, and hurts. And sometimes we don't respond in the way that we should. So, Lord Jesus, I know that you made a way for us to break free of these predictable prisons. I celebrate your name, Jesus. I honor, I lift up your name, Jesus. And Holy Spirit, I pray in this moment that you would fall heavy like you did at the day of Pentecost. That you would fall heavy and that you would move in people's minds and people's hearts. 
Give them the courage to take the step that they're supposed to take today, whether it's a, a step of faith in their seat or it's a step to come to the front of the altar. But God, do what only you can do. The altar's open. Jesus, you're willing to hear. We give you space to work.